Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. That's Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. Now, the second reading, the gospel reading, oh, not gospel reading, New Testament reading, <laughs> um, is from uh, Colossians. Uh, and if you're using the Red Pew Bibles, it's on page 956, and we're reading from chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brothers. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in the church in Colossae, grace and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing among the whole world, in, uh, growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you, fir- you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learnt from Epaphras, our, f- our beloved faithful servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has been and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious purpose, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued you from the power of darkness and transformed, uh, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Louisa, and I am uh, the assistant pastor here at St. John's in Ashfield, and I uh, want to welcome you warmly, uh, along with Gab and Richard tonight. Um, it's great to be joining with you. Um, why don't we come to God uh, in prayer as we um, look into his word together. Dearly Father, uh, we just pray uh, that you might uh, reveal yourself more clearly to us this evening. Uh, that we might glean all that you have in store for us, that you might encourage us and embolden us uh, by the power of your spirit. Uh, help us to trust you more deeply and to, uh, to love you fully, Lord, um, as a result of, of what we hear tonight um, for your glory and yours alone. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, you might not know this about me, uh, but I was a third culture kid. 
Now, what that means is that I grew up in a culture uh, that was not the same culture of that of my parents. I spent a significant amount of my early childhood living in America. My family, uh, we moved to the US when I was nearly two years old, and we came back when I was almost 12. And those 10 years of living in a different culture uh, shaped the person that I am. Uh, And especially, that was very noticeable when we first moved back to Australia when I was starting high school. It was pretty obvious that I was different. I had a very strong American accent. You might be surprised to know that. I spelt most words in the American way. Uh, I can clearly remember uh, spelling the word meter on the board in year seven and having no idea that the ending a word in an er sound could be spelled R-E rather than E-R. I mean, the English language, right? Like, who would have thought? Um, and recognize that uh, the whole class uh, joining in hilarity at the fact that I couldn't spell such a, a basic word. Um, it's fun times, isn't it, growing up in Australia, going to high school. Uh, the other thing that I had very little insight into uh, coming into Australia as a young um, preteen was that uh, paying out culture and sarcasm, that didn't really exist in uh, the way of doing humour in America. And so it was quite a shock for me coming to Australia and engaging in a culture that has humour in such a different way to what I was used to. Uh, So starting high school was a little bit challenging, um, particularly when I found it difficult to discern was a person paying me out because they wanted to be my friend or they're just a bully. Who knows? I mean, how do you work that out? The fruit of growing up in a different culture meant that even though I was born in Australia, even though I sounded, oh, sorry, even though I was born in Australia, I sounded like and communicated like and even saw the world much more like an American. I knew in theory that Australia was different in culture to America, but I'd not truly experienced that Uh, until we'd returned to Australia permanently, until I was living normal, everyday life in Australia. Isn't that true? The culture around us has a way of bearing fruit in our lives, in sometimes really subtle way and sometimes really overt and obvious ways. I think it can be easy for us to think of ourselves as autonomous, self-driven individuals, but so much of our thinking and being is influenced by those around us and our culture. Now, sometimes uh, as we look at the culture around us and the fruit that it brings, sometimes Christians just say, well, to embrace the fruit of the gospel rather than the fruit of the world, we merely need to observe the culture around us and then do the opposite. That's easy as it is. But... I think that's a pretty simplistic and reductionistic view of navigating a fruitful and faithful life in our context. So how do we work it out? How do we live out the fruit of the gospel in our lives? Well, the church in Colossae, uh, they had come to faith uh, through the teachings of Epaphras. He was sent by Paul to proclaim the gospel in the Lycus region of Asia Minor. The Apostle Paul had never met these Christians in Colossae. 
Paul, imprisoned in a Roman jail, writes these letters, this letter, uh, in response to the report that Epaphras brought back to him after going to Colossae. And Paul, across uh, this letter to the Colossians, uh, reminds uh, those who are reading it and hearing it of the centrality and supremacy of Jesus in order to encourage them and to protect them from false teaching. It is this focus on Jesus from the first seeds of faith until our last breath that will bring forth the fruit of the gospel in the church in Colossae and also in our lives as well. This fruit is what springs up in us from an authentic faith and is evident in our thinking and in our loves and in our actions. And so as we explore this first segment of Colossians together tonight, uh, we will see three things. Uh, Firstly, the fruit of the gospel grows from a knowledge of Christ. Secondly, the fruit of the gospel is grounded in hope. And lastly, the fruit of the gospel shapes our reality. Uh, So firstly, the fruit of the gospel grows from a knowledge of Christ. Just as the culture around us brings forth different fruit in us, uh, so too do the people around us. The people we know shape us and form us into the person that we are. And sometimes that is in positive ways and sometimes perhaps that's in less positive ways. I know if people, when people have children and see like some of their characteristics reflected in them, they're like, hmm, maybe that wasn't the greatest part of who I am. And seeing it so clearly in front of you is like, oh, that's a bit confronting. We are shaped so much by the people around us, aren't we? And we relate to so many different people all the time. It's, it's hard to know how all those different people are impacting us and influencing us especially when we have sort of limited uh, ability to know all those people truly. And so it raises this question, well, how do you actually know that you know someone? Uh, Maybe like learning about a topic in maths, uh, we more just learn in a linear progression. We add knowledge on top of knowledge that we've already gained. And once you've learnt the fact, well, then you know it. Like when we're in primary school, we learn that one plus one equals two. Once we've learned it, we know it. But in relating to others, knowing them is not as clear and straightforward as learning facts about them. It's more complicated. Some days with social media, it can feel like we're engaging with thousands of different people. You may know about someone through a news article, through a reel that you're watching on Instagram, through a biography, maybe a blog post, or even watching a musical. But do you truly know them? Even if you study an individual's life for weeks or months or even years, you might feel like you knew what that person was like, but there's still this limited aspect of that knowledge, isn't there? That you've never actually experienced that person. You've never really related to them personally. True knowledge of people is formed through them revealing themselves to you more and more and through having shared experiences where you see how that person acts and responds. This knowledge uh, of growing and knowledge of someone uh, allows you to do things to know when your spouse has had a bad day or 
to know when a friend is just in desperate need of encouragement, or to know when a colleague is uh, trying to get ahead of you in a moment. We can know different things about people the more that we spend time with them, the more that we experience them. You now know, as I shared at the beginning, that I grew up in America, but you don't know what I was like as a seven-year-old living in California because you weren't present for those experiences with me. But if you knew or met my parents, who are here tonight, or my brother, uh, who were there with me, they could provide insight into who I was because they shared in those experiences of life with me. Paul, he, he doesn't know the Colossians as he's writing to them. And yet, Paphras has shared with him the experiences that he has had and has given Paul insight into what the Colossian church needs. And so these teachings that Paul is giving uh, to the Colossians is to, to build them up and encourage them. I hear these words in verse 3. It says, In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. What a beautiful report to hear. The knowledge that Paul has been able to have of the Epaphras, oh, sorry, of the Colossian church. But as we're thinking about this, How does the Colossian church know Jesus? How can any person after Jesus' death and resurrection know him? If the fruit of the gospel comes from a knowledge of of God and a knowledge of Jesus, and knowing someone requires both revelation and experience of them, how, how can we actually truly know Jesus? How can the people of Colossians truly know Jesus? Well, firstly, uh, we can know Jesus because of the eyewitness accounts in the New Testament. We gain insight into the life and person of Jesus through the interactions and engagements he had with many people as he walked on earth. And the most uh, clear and faithful witnesses were people who were walking with Jesus across his ministry, the apostles. Uh, The more time you spend with someone and the more experiences you share, the more you truly know them. Uh, Paul, here in verse 1, he's included in the apostolic witness because he met the person of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appeared to him and revealed himself to Paul. And so we have a reliable witness, just as you might not have known me when I was seven years old, but you can get insight about who I was from my family. So too can we get insight and knowledge about the person of Jesus because of the eyewitness accounts that we have of him in the New Testament. Uh, Secondly, we can know Jesus through all of Scripture, as it reveals the character of God, and it points to the fulfillment of God's promises being met in the person of Jesus. As we see and know Jesus' character more clearly, we know more of God and who he is. And it is that truth um, of Jesus that shapes us and brings forth in us the fruit of the gospel. Uh, Hear these words from verse 5 to 7. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you, 
Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. It is through knowing Christ and knowing and understanding the grace that has been revealed to us uh, from God in the gospel that springs forth in us the fruit of love and hope in our hearts and lives. And Paul, he wants the people in uh, the church in Colossae to have an even greater knowledge and insight into who the person of Jesus is. And he spends a large uh, portion of the letter going forward, uh, teaching and expounding for them the wondrous mysteries of who Jesus is uh, in order to help them grow in awe of him. And as they see and hear the words of Jesus more clearly, uh, they love him more deeply as a result. And this is from them knowing him. The fruit of uh, the gospel grows from our knowledge of Jesus. Uh, but our knowledge of Jesus is not a static thing. It's not like we can just read all of the texts uh, in the Bible and then that's it. There's no more to learn. Uh, because we believe that the one, that the Bible is um, alive and active and it is uh, powerful for us right now. Uh, but even more than that, uh, we as uh, believers in Jesus um, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so actually we experience Jesus with us in our life. We get to experience and grow in knowledge of him in uh, true ways of him revealing himself to us throughout our experience. Uh, if you want to uh, look at verse 9 with me. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you, and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. This is continual ability to grow in our knowledge and understanding. As we walk through life as believers, Jesus is present with us. And we experience more and more of him as we grow in knowledge of him by the ways in which he works in us and the ways in which he works through us. For example, we might overcome a certain sin in our lives and through that know more deeply the forgiveness that has been won for us in Christ. And then we can have greater confidence in our ability to grow and change by the power of Jesus. Or another example, we might find healing from the impact of a broken relationship. And we might know then more deeply the love that Jesus has poured out on us and that he is good and he is for us, which enables us to be people who love others without fear. We might see that God has provided for us in the past and that will give us the ability to know that we can trust him when hard things come up in the present or in the future. That gives us courage to persevere. Or as we engage in the community of believers, we might see the outworking of faith in the lives of those around us, in the lives and circumstances that each of us face. And we might know and see more truly that God is a God who is active, he's faithful and trustworthy. And that might encourage us and embolden us to share and proclaim his message to those who don't yet know him. The fruit of the gospel grows in us and it flows from us 
from the moment we believe, and it shapes and transforms us as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. So the fruit of the gospel grows from a knowledge of our Saviour. Uh, That brings us to our second point this evening. The fruit of the gospel is grounded in hope. We all need hope, don't we? Something that is going to sustain us when we feel exhausted or troubled by the world around us. And we are not alone in this need for hope. The Colossians need to be reminded of the hope of the gospel regularly, just as we do. And it is this hope that gives us life and meaning and purpose. Uh, You might not know this about me. I'm terrible at keeping plants alive, like really, really terrible at keeping plants alive, particularly ones that are meant to like live in the indoors. Uh, I keep buying them though in hope that they might actually survive one day. Um, But at the moment, that's still a fairly fleeting hope. Uh, particularly when I so often uh, forget to water them or make sure they're getting any real sunlight other than just sitting in the indoors all the time. That's a pretty flimsy hope that I have, that maybe one day I'll be able to be, have a better green thumb and be able to grow plants in my house. But thankfully, the hope that we have in the gospel is grounded much deeper than that hope. And yet, if we don't keep coming back to the hope of the gospel, if we do not keep coming and recentering our hearts and lives, then we live in practice like that hope doesn't exist, that it's not what grounds our reality. We might lose sight of it or ignore the hope that we have. We need this hope to be like the water and sunlight in our faith, sustaining us and filling us up, coming back to it again and again and again. It's not that the roots of the hope are are shallow, they are deep, they are grounded, but we sometimes lose sight of them and forget about them. We don't pay attention to them. And Paul knows how vital hope is to the fruit of the gospel in our lives and in the lives of the Colossian church. And so he writes these words, For we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel, that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. The hope that grounds the fruit of the gospel in our hearts and lives, I think, is threefold. Firstly, there is a hope that is found in the message of the gospel itself. The message that Jesus, the Son of God, entered into our reality. That he rescues us from the power of sin and death through his own death and resurrection. And the forgiveness that he has subsequently won for us. We experience the first fruits of this hope when we come to faith. When we are set free from the sin that ensnares us, and when we are brought from death to life. Prior to having faith in Jesus, this hope is impossible, unimaginable. It is only in the acceptance of God's uh, gospel message by faith that this hope is inaugurated in us and that the fertile ground is able to grow in us for the gospel to take root. 
which then produces fruit in our hearts, our minds and behaviours. And just as knowledge of Jesus is not a static reality, neither is the hope that we experience static. It's not just something that has happened in our past. Um, And so the second aspect of hope that grounds us is that there is a continuous nature to the hope of the gospel. Uh, from, From verse nine again. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. We have hope that the fruit of the gospel is going to continue to be at work in us. As we grow in knowledge of God, we will subsequently grow in living out faithful obedience to him. And this provides us with confidence that even if we don't always live faithfully, or even at times if we wander away from God, we can be sure that God is not finished with us yet. He continues to be at work in us in order to bring to completion all that he began in us when we came to faith. And is this hope that enables us to come to God perhaps again and again for forgiveness, both as individuals and as a community. We can ask God to reveal himself to us more and more and to have a certain hope that not only will he do this, but he will provide us all we need to see and experience the fruit of the gospel and the work that he is doing in our hearts and lives. Paul comes back to the sense of completion and the all-encompassing hope across the book of Colossians. Um, And we're going to frequently see, as we look at this book over the next six weeks, um, the word all is repeated lots and lots of times uh, because it is not a static reality that we hope and trust in. Um, It's God who is at work um, from beginning to end, from the moment that we come to faith through to our last breath, from the moment that Jesus died and was raised through to him returning again. This hope is active. Um, And that brings us uh, to the final aspect of hope, the hope that grounds the fruit of the gospel in us, is that certain hope of eternity in the future. Uh, The passage says that Jesus himself has laid for us the hope of heaven. The end is certain. In looking back, We can see the hope won by Jesus' death and resurrection. And in looking forward, we see the hope of eternity with our Saviour. Both these positions of looking back and looking forward enable us to know who we are living for. And that shapes the fruit that is being born in and through us. And this hope enables us to live sacrificially for what is eternal is primary and what is temporary is secondary. Uh, you might know uh, the story of Corey Ten Boom and her family. Uh, they are a well-known uh, story. Uh, if you don't, that's okay. It's a good thing to, hear, to look into maybe as well. Uh, this is a family who uh, were living in Nazi Germany during uh, World War II, and they provided um, secret refuge for Jewish fugitives and help them to escape uh, into safer countries around them. How could they do that? How could they put so much at risk? And it's because of the certain hope of eternity 
that enable them to risk their own lives in order to protect those who are most vulnerable around them. Even when the Ten Boom family was arrested, the Jewish individuals who were in that moment hiding in their home were not discovered by the Nazi soldiers, nor revealed to, the, to them by the Ten Booms. The family sacrificed their freedom, and in the end, all but Corey sacrificed their life for this because they would not lay down their faithful service of God for an evil human regime. It was a certain hope, won for us by our Saviour, that shaped their lives, and the fruit of their faith was evident in all that they did. Now, as we look at our own lives, our own circumstances might not appear as radical as the Ten Boom family on the surface, uh, it's probably unlikely anytime soon that we're going to have an occupation army uh, causing grievous harm to those around us. But we too are people who can and do live lives that are grounded in the hope of eternity. And that's going to shape us and change us. It's going to impact our decisions and our ways of life. Uh, perhaps for you, uh, this might look like sacrificing your status might look like saying no to a promotion if we know it's going to inhibit our ability to serve one another. Or maybe accepting that promotion or a particular job is going to impinge our ability to work ethically. Or maybe if we're going to have a higher salary, that's going to promote in us a heart of greed rather than one of generosity. And so we might choose to lay aside particular opportunities and benefits in certain circumstances, because we know that our security does not come from our paycheck, does not come from our job title, but that our security is in the hope of eternity that we have in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Perhaps for some of us, it will look like sacrificing popularity or influence. It will enable us to be courageous in sharing our faith with our friends and family in hope that the knowledge of the gospel is powerful to change even the hardest hearts. Of course, we will speak in those situations with all of the care and gentleness and nuance afforded to us, but we will also be faithful to the truth of the gospel, even if it results in us being disliked or rejected. And we can do that because our identity is not solely in our friends or in our family, but it is in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And it is in him that we know that we are loved, that we are known truly for who we are, and that we are accepted by him. Or perhaps for some of us, it will look quite different. A life grounded in hope might actually look like saying no to something that you really love doing. It might say, look like letting go of a particular ministry that you're serving in. Because you know that the God who brings all things to completion can even continue doing that, even if you need to step aside and rest for a season. Even if you're unable to continue serving in a particular way. The hope gives you confidence that your value for God and that your value in the community of believers is not based on what you do for God. 
It is based solely in the person that you are, a person who is dearly loved and cherished by God. And that Jesus is going to continue moulding you and growing you regardless of what you do or you achieve for God. This means at times you're going to be able to serve boldly in different seasons, in different ways. And then there might be seasons where you need to change the way that you serve and that you can rely on God to bring up other people so you might rest and trust in the work of God in a different way. The fruit of the gospel in our lives is grounded in hope. The hope of Christ winning redemption for us, the hope of God completing the work of transformation in us, and the hope of eternity with our Saviour. And that brings us to our final point this evening. The fruit of the gospel shapes our reality. Uh, One of the key expressions of the fruit of the gospel that uh, is shown in the people uh, in in the Colossian church uh, is being characterised by love. Their faith in the message of the gospel has sprung forth in them and enabled them to have a great love and care for one another. What a beautiful testament of the work of God in their hearts. And I think that we too are people who pour out love for one another. The love that God has shown us and has poured out for us through his son enlivens us and enables us to pour out love to others. And I see this regularly in our church community. I see this in the way that people are welcomed in, who are invited into our homes and spaces, invited out to meals after the church, showing our love for the newcomer. I see this in the way in which people are so quick to offer love and care for people when they are in need, maybe through providing meals or offering an extra word of encouragement meeting up for coffee. It's so wonderful to see the acts of love that we have for one another as a community. And I want to encourage us to continue to live out the fruit of this gospel by demonstrating love to one another. And sometimes one of the most challenging things about the love of a community is to not being always the ones who give that love to others, but to be actually those who receive the love of others. It can be really a confronting thing. We love to be people, I think, who give out love, but sometimes it can be really challenging to accept the love and care of others, to be vulnerable vulnerable enough to say, I need help, I need support. And so as we grow as a community together, uh, let us be people who are willing to open our hearts and lives to one another so that we can continue to pour out that love of the gospel together. And the other uh, key expression of the fruit of the gospel uh, in the early church in Colossae uh, was shown in their perseverance. Uh, Paul, at the time of writing this letter, uh, was imprisoned in Rome, and many in the church across that time would experience persecution and even death because of their faith. And Paul exhorts the Colossians uh, with these words. In verse 11, he says, "'May you be made strong,' with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
In order to persevere, Paul prays that all believers will be filled with the strength that God provides. But his prayer is not merely for the church to persevere. Instead, Paul prays that they are strengthened so that they can endure hardship and persecution with patience, with joy, and with thanksgiving. Now, these might seem like unrealistic possibilities that Paul is hoping for in the midst of hardship. How can anyone find joy and thanksgiving? It's not a natural response to those situations and those seasons. And as we uh, look at this, we want to make sure that we're not misunderstanding Paul. He's not trying to negate the realities of suffering or the significant hardship that that brings us. But he is rather reminding us that even in the midst of all of this, even in our darkest moments, that we have a God who is present with his people, that we have a God who strengthens us even in the midst of trial. And that in those hardships, in those darkest moments, we have a God who's going to reveal to us glimpses of joy. And we have a God who's going to show us that we still have things to be thankful for, things that we can come to him. But the truest way that God is able to show us that we can do these things, that we can be a people who uh, persevere with joy and thanksgiving and patience, It's because he is a God who didn't stay far away from suffering, but he is a God who entered into suffering. He is a God who entered into our broken world. He joined with us in our pain, in our suffering, and even in our death. And it is because Christ shared with us in all these things that he can enable us to persevere and to provide us with complete certainty that ultimately we will share in his eternal inheritance, that we can find joy and thanksgiving even in those hard moments. Our reality is shaped and transformed because of the gospel that springs forth its fruit in our lives as we trust and believe in him, our true saviour, Jesus Christ. Uh, As we come to a close, I just want you to hear these verses again from verse 13 and 14. This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this evening we have seen that the the fruit of the gospel grows from a knowledge of Christ. The fruit of the gospel is grounded in hope and the fruit of the gospel shapes our reality. Let's come before him and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who did not stay far off, that you are a God who entered into our world, into our story, and that through your death and resurrection, you brought us from death to life. You have brought us the knowledge of your Son. You have brought us the way and path to salvation and that you have given us a hope, a hope that will transform us, a hope that will be with us across our lives, a hope that we can look forward to spending eternity with you, our God. And so we pray that as we live out our lives as fellow members of your church, 
as your children, Lord, we pray that you might transform us more and more, that you might demonstrate in us the fruit of your gospel in our hearts, in our lives, and in our actions. And we ask this for your namesake and to your glory. Amen.